Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the weather, looking at the papers uh, today, lots of weather related photographs as uh, some of them are lovely. Children are playing in the snow and snow capped mountains. Um, But then, you know, there's ones with treacherous driving conditions and trucks that are jackknived. And there's a lot of people picking up on that bus air and bus that was lucky, was empty and the driver uh, was fine. Thank God. But it just completely uh, skidded off the road. And the worst, certainly of the heaviest uh, uh, snowfalls seem to have hit across Leinster and uh, Ulster. We here in Cork seem to have got away with it uh, yesterday, even though, and we were reporting this yesterday morning, Limerick and Clare were particularly badly hit uh, yesterday and motorists were facing blizzard-like conditions in uh, some areas. We know that there was roads in Limerick and Clare in North Tipperary that yesterday were being described as impassable due to uh, snow. And that's what you had that a bus airing vehicle that completely skidded off the road. It did lead to a number of school closures as well in Limerick and in Clare. Now we're told the worst of the snow and the ice was uh, yesterday but Met Aaron are warning that the thaw will not begin until at least tomorrow evening as milder wetter conditions will spread in over the country and it's looking like on Sunday this cold spell will be behind us. I mean Met Aaron are talking in temperatures on Sunday of 14 degrees uh, Celsius. Now that's much more like the spring weather and the spring conditions we will be expecting at this time of year. So wrap up warm if you are heading out. It is bitterly cold uh, today. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Texts and WhatsApps also open at 086 103 103. And again, a lot of the papers uh, filled with discussions that went on in the Dáil yesterday and discussions that went on at various Oireachtas committees about the eviction ban that we know is going to be lifted at the end of this month and with that ban now being lifted you know ending in a few weeks time we're now starting to and we're going to hear more and more stories of people who literally are finding it impossible to put a roof over their head and people who are going to have nowhere to live. And the front page of the Irish Examiner today deals with a young secondary school teacher from Limerick 
who is going to lose her home when the ban comes in. And she says she's talking in the paper today about the horrors of renting in Ireland. And it means that even professionals like herself as a teacher are now simply priced out of the market. Uh, she's, as I say, a secondary school teacher, Katrina, has, was recently issued with a notice to quit the small property she's been living in. Now, she's been renting it for the last five years. She said that the notice came after she contacted the Residential Tenancy Board because her landlord looked for a 25% rent increase on the property, as I say, she's been in for five years. Now, the house is also in a rent pressure zone, which meant that the maximum annual increase that the landlord could it could introduce was 4% but instead she got a rent increase of 25%. She went to the Residential Tenancy Board to say look this is after happening. Is this correct? Can this happen? And lo and behold now she's after getting a notice to uh, quit. She said if I can't find another place I'll not be able to go to work. I won't be able to do my job because she said I don't have a car. She said the housing crisis is contributing to the teacher retention crisis that we're all acutely aware is happening in schools all over the country but it's particularly bad in urban areas particularly bad in Dublin they're finding it really difficult to get teachers it's not that teachers aren't available it's just teachers can't afford to live there but you're going to have it in urban areas like Limerick City Cork City anywhere where there is a real crisis when it comes to renting an affordable property so she said teachers and professionals are simply being priced out of the rental market at the moment now she also went on to get quite personal and tell her own story in that she says in the paper she's the eldest of nine children. She said her mum is a single mother. So she said there's no bank of mum and dad for me because how often have we heard of that that the only way a young person and even a young professional on a what many people would see as a decent wage the only way they can afford it is if the bank of mum and dad help out but that's that Katrina's not in a situation that her mother can help her out in any way. She's now calling on the government to uh, renovate vacant buildings and to to build public housing on public land. She said housing has to be decommodified. It cannot be just an investment asset. And she also speaks in the paper about how she had lived in France and Spain. And when she lived in France and Spain, she obviously was uh, renting. And she said, but nothing compares to the horrors of renting here in Ireland and the lack of control and the lack of rights for the people renting. She said the value for money is so poor compared to her experience when she was in other European uh, countries. She said the fact that they're lifting the eviction ban, God knows what's going to happen uh, now. And of course, she's not on her own. And I think, in the, as I say, in the weeks and months ahead, we're going to start hearing more and more of those uh, stories. And the government are saying they will not consider reintroducing the eviction ban, even if there is a spike in homelessness. And that was a, a quote and a comment from the Taoiseach yesterday, Leo Varadkar. He said that such a move will not reduce the number of people without a home. He made those remarks. He as the government were defending the decision to end the eviction uh, ban. And of course, there obviously has been severe criticism from opposition uh, parties and obviously severe criticism from homeless charities. But yesterday, Leo Varadkar de Taoiseach was speaking at the Finance Committee and he says, I quote, if there's a massive increase in homelessness, then, he says, we will have to figure out what is the best way to reverse that. Would the reimposition of the eviction ban for a number of months do that? He said, I think it probably wouldn't. And I think 
what we have to do then is to step up our activities in other areas. Then he spoke about building more social houses, stepping up the work that they're already doing to prevent homelessness, stepping up cost rental, putting in place a package to encourage small landlords in particular to stay in the market are indeed those that have left to get them to re-enter. And of course, while he was addressing the Oireachtas Finance uh, Committee, the Dáil were also discussing it and they were hearing how families made homeless during the housing crisis were being told to go to their local guard station to find a safe place to stay to stay. Now there was a heated exchange yesterday in the leaders question and the government issued a robust defence of their decision. The Sinn Féin's TD Pierce Doherty he said the step would push many many families into homelessness however the Thonish who was taking uh, the leaders question the Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin said the government was coming up with uh, solutions and then he went on to accuse the Pierce Doherty of Sinn Féin of reprehensible dishonesty while critics of the move claim it, it will result in more people becoming homeless. The government have insisted that prolonging the measures would only have seen more landlords leave the rental sector and that would then obviously reduce an already low supply of accommodation even uh, further and the government are very much sticking by that. The reason that they have re- ended the eviction ban is to keep more small landlords in the rental market even though I have to say uh, listening to chat shows on national radio all I seem to be hearing are small landlords saying as soon as the eviction ban is gone that they're getting out of the market and only time will tell how many of them will get out of the market and of course when I mentioned Piers Doherty and Sinn Féin they, Sinn Féin have confirmed that they're tabling this motion on the decision to end the eviction ban and a vote is going to take place on the 22nd of March and that'll be after the government will return from all of their St. Patrick's Day engagements around uh, the world. But it seems the motion is not binding. So it won't mean the extension of the eviction ban, an extension of it, even if it's passed. Uh, so, but it'll be interesting to, it, it, but, it, but what, it, what it will do, it will keep this story very much in on the front pages and it will keep people talking about it. And actually also in the doll yesterday, it was Pierce Doherty who was, claim, who was saying, he referenced a family in South Dublin County County Council who became homeless and when they went to South Dublin County Council to find accommodation South Dublin County Council say we don't have any accommodation for you and Pierce Doherty claims that the family were told that they should present themselves to the local garden station to have a safe place uh, to live but since Pierce Doherty announced that in the Dáil yesterday South Dublin County Council have come out and said it is not their policy to advise any homeless or potentially homeless clients to present to the garden station they say all efforts are made to find a suitable placement for clients in need of emergency accommodation and actually that's something we are going to be discussing on the programme this morning that should priority be given when somebody finds themselves homeless and uh, if there's children involved should priority be given that any homeless accommodation or any emergency accommodation that priority must be given to families with uh, children Uh, and and I think everybody will agree with that. Nora in Mallow has been on with an unusual request she wants to know is there any place any I'm assuming bookshop educational that sells school books educational school books she wants to purchase junior cert mock exam papers and wonders are they still uh, for sale. Now I don't quite know what you mean by junior cert mock exam papers. I've never seen the mock exam papers being resold. I've seen the what they used to do and I, I don't know if they still do. You used to be able to get the past papers, the past exam papers if, if that's what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know if they're still available or not but certainly once upon a time uh, they were always the thing and, and, and you used to buy them and bring them into school and they were used 
by the teacher in order to practice and get ready for the actual exam. So I, I take it that's what you're uh, looking for rather than the mock exam uh, papers. So j- past junior search papers. Does anybody know, are they for sale? Uh, Nora's looking for them. I don't know why, but give us a call if you can give any information to Nora. 0818103103. Now, people responding to the Taoiseach's comments yesterday uh, when he said, even if there is an increase in the number of people presenting as uh, homeless uh, he said they're sticking to their guns and they will not reverse the decision they won't, will not reintroduce the eviction ban some of your commentary in on that listening to the Taoiseach's response on the eviction ban yesterday I think it's very relevant to note that Mr Varadkar himself is a landlord, the Attorney General is also a landlord, are they making laws for their own business, is this not a conflict of interest, I actually and I'll try and get to it later on, I have a list of which of the TD and ministers are landlords. Actually, it's interesting to note that a number of TDs who had been landlords have sold up their properties and have got out of the business, which ties in with the number of other private landlords who are deciding to get out of it. And of course, with house prices so high, it's a good time to sell a house. So there isn't as many TDs are still landlords as there was at one time. Uh, hi, Patricia. For a Taoiseach and any government to make a statement yesterday like that just tells you what kind of a government this is and how out of touch they are. They really don't, they don't appear to have any empathy with people's lives. This is from Finbar who says, we are the only country that has not taken any money from the COVID recovery fund from the EU and I was not aware of that. I was certainly going to have to look into uh, that. If we could take money from the COVID recovery fund, could that money, said Finber, not be used handed over to local authorities and help local authorities find homes for people on the housing list. And Daniel in Middleton is one of those people who describes himself as an accidental landlord. He said, I met a girl, we married and now I'm living in Meath where she is from. So I decided to rent out the house I had purchased in Middleton. Lovely family moved in and after a year they moved on. Then got another couple who again, very nice people, very good references and they moved into the house. But after five months they didn't pay the rent. I thought maybe they'd just fallen on tough times. So I asked them if they could make up the shortfall and pay it back, you know, come up with a payment uh, plan. A proportion of what was owed was paid, but not the overall sum. This went on and on. And then finally, they refused to pay the full month's rent. This means now I have a mortgage on two homes, the one in Middleton and the house I'm living in in uh, County Meath. I am not getting the correct rent for the house in Middleton, so I've got a shortfall on my mortgage. I can't ask them to leave due to the eviction ban that's been in place. So to hear that the eviction ban is ending is good news uh, for me. Why should I suffer? Because people are living in my home and refusing to pay uh, rent. While I know there are genuine cases out there and very worried families and I feel for them, but it's unfair to tarnish all landlords as I would not be putting anybody out if they had paid their rent. And in fairness, even Deputy Mick Barry, who was talking to us about people staying in the property if they didn't have anywhere else uh, to live and letting it go to the RTB, he did say if it's anything to do with antisocial behaviour or if people are not paying uh, rent then they should be evicted immediately and I think it's always been very unfair that the eviction ban was in place and you had somebody who just you know and I'm assuming it isn't a financial issue they just don't want to pay the rent and that feels very very unfair indeed.
This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Medicine shortages are now a year-round issue. And that's the message that was conveyed this week to the Oireachtas Health Committee by the Irish Pharmacy Union. Dublin-based pharmacist Sheena Mitchell once again joins me to discuss this ongoing uh, issue. Good morning to you, Sheena. Good morning. And uh, you're welcome to the programme. Have you ever seen medicine shortages as bad as they are at the moment? No, it's definitely, you know, a worsening problem. And I think it's very complex and it's kind of the perfect cascade of problems all coming together to cause difficulties. So, you know, you've got obviously shipping costs are hugely expensive. You've got the fact that, excuse me, You've got the fact that Ireland um, have negotiated exceptionally well and now pay the cheapest prices for drugs in Europe. But obviously, as an island off the mainland of Europe, it makes us quite unappealing for drug manufacturers to ship to when they actually have stock. And then there's been a lot of manufacturing problems for various reasons. So if you combine all of that, we kind of end up in this scenario where we're struggling to get stock. Obviously, Brexit is a, has an impact as well. And, you know, we're quite far down the, the supply chain when it comes to actually getting access to medicines when they become available. So it's a, it's a really is a, it's a perfect uh, storm. So a patient presents to their local pharmacy with a prescription from the doctor and you don't have the medication that's on the prescription. Are you still not allowed to offer an alternative? Do you or the patient have to, has to go back to the GP? Is that still the way it is? Yeah, unfortunately. So the way it is at the moment, and a good example was a particularly apparent during the winter season when we had a lot of kind of uh, bacterial throat infections going around. So the first line antibiotic choice for that would be a drug called Finis. Phenoxyphetal penicillin, which is known as Calvapen. And this drug wasn't available. And there was no imminent return date and there was no direct alternative. So when we talk about alternatives, we are allowed to substitute one brand of the same drug to another. But when it comes down to changing the actual antibiotic drug, we can't swap from one to another legally without contacting the doctor. But we did know at that time that the second line antibiotic, which was recommended for treatment of sore throats that were bacterial in nature, was amoxicillin. So we would then have to go and try and ring the GP on behalf of our patients. We could be on hold for half an hour or we might be able to get through it all or the doctor's surgery literally might take a week to get back to us. And even with the small advances that we did have in technology and health in Ireland, you know, we have a health mail system where we can communicate with the GPs, but it's not a, a very live form of communication. So we could send an email and it could take three days to get a reply because the doctors are under extreme pressure. So all of this adds up to delays to the patient. Like, ultimately, that's what this is. It's, it's bureaucracy at its worst because you have a patient standing in front of you. You know what the next best line is for them. You know that the doctor is going to say exactly the same thing as you, but you're not supported by the legislation to give that medicine. In the UK, they work to what's called a serious shortage protocol, which defines very clearly 
step-by-step guides and actions that a pharmacist should take, but allows them to make the clinical decision to change the antibiotic where appropriate. And and I know I've I've discussed this serious shortage protocol before in the past. Is there any move to introduce it? No, and I think, well, yesterday we obviously had um, a really constructive meeting with the Oireachtas Health Committee, and it was members of the Irish Pharmacy Union um, who met with them. And they're calling for the same things that I've been calling for. And it did come up in that. And it's funny, what I've been campaigning for is accessible healthcare for all, So to allow pharmacists to, you know, I suppose, provide patient access to over-the-counter and minor ailments uh, treatments without the need to go to the doctor, as happens in many countries. And it is tied in, the serious shortage protocol is tied in in the same legislative amendments that we need to allow us to have a bit of, I suppose, autonomy and, you know, to allow us to actually use our clinical skills that we would be able to use, for example, if we were working in the UK. So yesterday, the conclusion of the meeting was that the Health Committee agreed in its entirety with all of the proposals that were laid before it. And they said that, you know, I found it a bit disheartening, really, because they said, well, we'll try and, you know, um, get the minister to talk about it and we'll write a letter and we'll, we'll try and get responses. But to be honest, even though they're in there trying their best, even they sounded defeatist. So I actually recorded a podcast kind of reviewing the meeting so people could hear the actual comments that were made. And that's available um, just by searching a Wondercare podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's called Pharmacy Stay Out in the Doll. And it gives you a very good picture of the barriers that we're facing and the frustrations that even the Oireachtas Health Committee have. If we had a chief pharmaceutical officer in this country, Mm -hmm. So someone who would help liaise, basically, between the pharmacy community and the government in the Department of Health. If we had someone in a senior position there, none of these issues, you know, would be ongoing. They'd all be sorted. It seems impossible to get sense through to the minister. Because I I remember speaking to you back in December when you wrote the letter to uh, the Taoiseach, uh, Dear Varadkar. I mean, you know, where you were clearly outlying, outlying how your profession is being underutilised by the Department of Health and by utilising your profession more, you would take pressure off GPs who are already overstretched. A hundred percent. And the funniest part of all of this is while that Rockets meeting was going on yesterday, the Minister for Health was on um, a national radio show and <laughs> he basically said, because I had been on that radio show last week, and explaining my proposals, just as as I did with you in December. And, you know, the presenter put it to the minister, why aren't we doing what this pharmacist is saying? What's the problem? And he said, oh, we are doing it, absolutely. They're completely underutilised. She said, right, oh, it's happening, it's happening. And, you know, no, it's not, minister. Like, it might be happening in your head, but it's not happening in practice. He's not engaging with the Irish Pharmacy Union. He's talking the talk, but he is not walking the walk. And I find that so frustrating to have blatant lying going on for political agenda when really and truly this is a simple, simple problem or a simple, simple solution to a very big problem. 
And it's not often that you can say there's an easy answer here, but we actually have one. And I think the people of Ireland deserve access to healthcare and so deserve for this solution to be brought into practice. And you've seen it in operation, uh, Sheena, because you worked as a pharmacist in Scotland and that was a very different experience. Exactly. So I qualified in 2006 and I was working over in Scotland for over a year after I qualified. And as a newly newly, you know, fresh out of the college um, pharmacist, I was able to provide antibiotic eye drops to children coming in who had very clear conjunctivitis, simple infections, and I was entitled and legally supported to work through a protocol so that I could provide medication and treatment to that patient. I never thought that 17 years later, I'd be back home in my own country and absolutely restricted. And here it's becoming so important because we are facing a healthcare crisis. There aren't enough GPs. There aren't enough GPs in rural areas. Mm. And, you know, like 85% of GPs are in urban areas. It's only going to get worse. 43% of GPs are over 60. So over the next decade, we are going to enter a complete crisis. And if we don't utilise every aspect and every healthcare professional to the best of their ability, then we're failing the people of Ireland and we're failing healthcare. 100%. And I know another another item that was mentioned at the Oireachtas uh, Committee by uh, your union uh, was for pharmacists to be allowed to dispense the contraceptive pill without a need for a GP prescription. And I was thinking about that. That would be a win-win for both women and for the overstretched GPs. 100%. And actually, it is in line with World Health Organization guidance. So they actually came out to say there is no clinical reason that the contraceptive pill needs to be on prescription. And I have to say, all of the health committee, which includes Colin Burke, who is a Cork man, I believe. Yeah, he is. We're, <laughs> we're all extremely supportive of that. And, you know, on the day the meeting was on, it was National Women's Day. And Roisin Shorthall did put forward a proposal that the committee would endorse that call for contraception to be made available because we know that it's you know free of charge now for up to 25 year olds 17 to 25 year olds that's being extended to up to 30 in september but there was also a call by the union like that should be available to every woman and we know that cost isn't the only barrier like being able to get to the gp to get your prescription Mm. it's not easy for women who are trying to hold down, down jobs and raise children so we need to make it as accessible as possible. That's in the patient's best interest. So again, I hope that our government listens. OK, and just very finally, a uh, listener says, well, you have the Sheen of the pharmacist, John, could you ask her, please, is there any update on Ozempic supply? I've tried to source supply from other pharmacists. I've been without it now for four months and I'm not a candidate for an alternative treatment. That's the one for diabetes, but it's also been used for weight loss, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, unfortunately, because of increased demand and, you know, I suppose just difficulties in the supply chain, we're still facing ongoing supply issues. And it's very difficult at pharmacy level now because you, you know, have the HC telling us that it's not unavailable. Yet when we try and order it, we can't get it. They also want to facilitate if someone is on a one milligram dose, we're not allowed to give them two of the 0.5. Like, it's illogical and bureaucratic nonsense. And I completely support, like, obviously, with something like Rosempic, it's difficult because you've got people who absolutely need that for the management of their diabetes. But then you've also got, you know, the use of it for weight loss. And 
ultimately, we have a huge problem with obesity in this country. We've gone from being the, I suppose, leanest population in Europe to actually being one of the most obese. We need to address that in a prompt, easy manner. There's a whole conversation about how difficult that is in current lifestyles. Like 50 years ago, we were walking everywhere and, you know, eating a much kind of plainer diet. And people do need support to try and maintain weight because otherwise diabetes levels are going to spiral out of control and that is going to be a serious threat to our health system in years to come. Okay, but there's, but you have no date for when Ozempic will be back on the market for this particular listener? Unfortunately, no. it's coming in in dribs and drabs. So I suppose Keep liaising with their pharmacy is the best way to do it because... Okay. Sometimes what they do is they put items like that on allocation, which means the suppliers control the drip feed of the drug into the market. So, you know, it's not available at will. So we might get three boxes or four boxes a month where actually we need 40, you know. so it's it's so frustrating. It is so, so frustrating. Okay, listen, Sheena, pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that and uh, have a good day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Dublin-based pharmacist uh, Sheena Mitchell. A personal safety and awareness course designed to prepare participants for everyday issues that might confront them has seen increased demand from companies looking to provide safety training for their employees. To chat about the What If programme, I'm joined by Daniel Manning. Good morning to you, Daniel. Hey, good morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And you're welcome to the programme. Have you seen an increase in calls due to an increase in violence against both men and women, Daniel? Yes. So, look, un- unfortunately, the, the statistics regarding kind of crime statistics are pretty bleak. Uh, there was uh, the Angarda Shiakana provisional crime statistics came out for 2022 at the start of March. And unfortunately, what we're seeing with assaults causing harm which would be, you know, an increase of about 20% in 2021, and minor assaults are up by 19% in 2021, in 2022, sorry. So throughout the board, with all the crime statistics, unfortunately, everything is going up. Uh, if we look at theft from the person, we're looking at an increase of uh, 111% for the year 2021. So I suppose on, on, on the basis of, of those figures, the, the what-if program is really responding to to um, to try and address some of those items for people that that the individual for personal safety, but also people uh, that are that are in work uh, as well. So I suppose what is the what if safety program? It, it's a personal safety and a situational awareness course, and it's hoping to build that the individual's confidence and to teach the individual to avoid potential dangerous situations in their everyday life. And yeah, because, you know, unfortunately, uh, people who work in, in retail or in tourism in some of the, the, the service areas, they're seeing more verbal uh, abuse aimed at them. I mean, I'm assuming parts of the course, do you teach people about how to calm the situation to stop it escalating? A hundred percent. So I suppose there's a number of things to look at, certainly with the, the, the verbal abuse side of it. Um, our, our kind of top tips from the verbal abuse side would always be try and ignore it. You know, it, it's difficult uh, to do it, but I mean, it is it is the best response to try and ignore it. The second thing that we've always say to people is don't get emotional about it. it, it, it you can't try and take it personally. And, and what happens are, are people take this verbal abuse quite personally and, and uh, the tensions then begin to rise 
uh, arise. Um, we try and talk about setting boundaries, you know, so, um, like, don't scream at me, you know, could you lower your voice? And we continue talking, stop calling me names, stop using foul language, and things like that. Um, again, another top tip is try and give a bit of time. So if, if, if you're dealing with someone that is very frustrated or angry, give a bit of time and space and say, listen, can we just take a pause? And, and we'll, 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 we'll talk about this in a couple of minutes. Try and get, yeah, try and get the other person to just, calm down. Just, just, well, I suppose calm down. The big thing is we try and never use the word calm down. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> it's like red, a red, red rag, rag. Through, yeah, red rag yeah. through a bull. But when, but then females, uh, Daniel, are, are nervous about walking alone. I mean, I think especially at, at nighttime, that's always been there. But when, when you're seeing an increase in, in attacks and assaults, I think, you know, more than ever, you'll hear females talk about, I'd never walk alone or, or you know, or if I have to walk somewhere, I'm very careful and I'm mindful of what I'm doing. What advice do you give to, to females? So look, there's, there's a couple of things that, that we'll always talk about. And I suppose, like, a lot of people talk about risk assessment. Uh, and I suppose we do this naturally. So if you consider when you're crossing the road, you know, you look up and down, you see if there's cars coming, and you cross the road. So you've carried out a risk assessment and you've never really thought about it like that. And the same would apply for people and, and, and for women that are out walking at night. They should always kind of be a little bit of a plan in place. Uh, or a risk assessment in place, you know, where where am I going walking? Is it is it daytime? Is it nighttime? Is it well lit? You know, are there go- am I expecting to see an awful lot of other people uh, on the route? Are there going to be isolated, lonely areas in the route? How will I be walking? Will I be wearing my jacket with my hood up, with my earphones in, looking at my phone? Am I aware of my surroundings? So a lot of it is to do with your situational awareness of what, where you're going. What's my plan? Have I told the person that at home with me or if I rang my mum saying, listen, mum, I'm going out for a walk. Uh, I'll be back in a half an hour and I'll give you a ring uh, when I get home. Uh, I'm going down the marina for a walk and I, I should be back in 45 minutes. So a lot, about, a lot of this is, is about pre-planning um, or, or having a kind of a risk assessment in place. And, you know, it, 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 we're not used to doing that, but we do it when we're crossing the road. But unfortunately, that's kind of the situation that we have to look at putting ourselves in now that we just plan a little bit better when, when we're going out in the boat. Um, again, for, for women out walking or for, for men out in public as well, it's important that your posture and how you present yourself uh, is, is an indicator to potential threat as well. So if you're confident looking, your head is up, your shoulders are back, you've got a nice long stride, you look like you know where you're going and you're aware of your surroundings, uh, that is off-putting to a, a potential uh, person that's going to maybe rob you or, or, or take something from you because they're saying that person, they, they look at you first and they're saying there's confidence there and the risk versus reward to the, to the predator is, they, is they don't want to take it and they look for maybe someone else. So it, it, a lot of what you teach really is kind of early identification of po- potential problems. 100%. So again, a lot of it is, is about self-awareness, building your confidence. It, it, the course is very bespoke because the course can, can be delivered, we say, to, to primary schools. So what we would teach in primary schools would be slightly different than what we would teach to older, level, older children. So again, secondary schools, TY years, uh, six, six years, into college, third level, and then obviously into the retail. So it, it, it is very, it, it's very bespoke in what we do and our training can be either online 
but it's also in-house. And in our training, we do an awful lot of uh, scenario-based training. So people on the course have an opportunity to kind of go through the scenarios and get an understanding when we talk about your posture and we talk about, um, you know, how people approach you in different distances. They get a good understanding of what we're talking about. That's terrific. Somebody wants to know, uh, can you ask your expert, it's uh, Daniel Manning from whatifsafety.com. Uh, what about road rage? Road rage is on the, uh, the increase. Is road rage better just to ignore and get out of the situation? A hundred percent. Avoidance. That's, that's the, biggest, the biggest thing we'll tell anyone. Uh, uh, absolute avoidance if, if you can do it. As, as I was saying uh, a while back regarding some of our top tips regarding verbal abuse, you know, you never meet crazy with crazy. <laughs> so yeah. if, you, if you have someone roaring and shouting at you, the response to that is, is not to meet it with crazy because it escalates everything. And the best, the best advice that, that we can give to anyone is avoidance, yeah. okay? Uh, because it's the easiest way uh, to, to to get yourself out of trouble. And if after avoidance, then, you know, you're you're going down into, like, escaping or, or the incident is happening and you're then trying to get away from it and then de-escalation. But de-escalation is quite difficult if you're dealing with someone that is that is very frustrated, um, can be very angry, aggressive, and then they, they, they talk, people talk about um, a kind of an anger ladder. So people start off being frustrated first and then they get angry, and then after anger, they get there's aggression, and then after aggression, there's violence. And you can meet this person anywhere in the ladder. It just doesn't follow the steps. So you could be, unfortunately, you're meeting them at the aggression to the violence stage. So avoidance is the best advice to anyone. Okay, well done. Well done. Great, great advice. Um, um, and, you, and you run, um, as you say, personal sa- uh, safety workshops, and people can find out more on your website, Daniel? Yeah, so it's www whatifsafety.com Okay, whatifsafety.com I enjoyed that. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, have a good day and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning Bye. to you. Bye-bye, Daniel Manning of whatifsafety.com You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Bernice listening to us in uh, Cork City who was reacting to Nora in Mallow who is looking for past I don't know if it's Leaving Cert or Junior Cert, Leaving Cert uh, papers and wondering, are they still on sale? Bernice was on to say you can get them upstairs in Eason's. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Bernice. And actually, Nora was ringing us from Mallow. There's an Eason's in Mallow as well. So um, was, um, I just checked online. Uh, it looks like all of the Eason stores uh, do them. They're also uh, available online as well. So yes, they, the answer for Nora is they are still on sale if you pop into. I imagine any bookshop that deals with school books uh, I imagine we'll have them on sale uh, as well. And then can anybody help out on you? Says Patricia, I'm looking for somebody who looks after dogs for a day or an overnight in the Mallow general area. I don't want to use a kennels as I feel there are too many dogs there and I also find them quite expensive. So does anybody offer that kind of a service whereby kind of a dog sitter, but you'll take the dog into your own house for a day or maybe for an overnight uh, when Anya needs to go away. I don't know if anyone is offering that service, but she's looking ideally in the general Mallow area. If anybody knows of such a service available for dog minding, can you get onto us please? 0818 103 103 or you can text in your uh, information to 086 103 103. 
I heard on the news and Michael is picking up on this by text about the building of schools. Michael says our Taoiseach Leo Varadkar made a statement to the Dáil uh, in recent days that where 58 new schools in the state have had to be put on hold and he cited the reason it's due to increased building costs. But when building costs come down, materials like concrete and steel rarely come down dramatically. To me this is very short-sighted by our government. Our children's future is being held to a ransom. Uh, yeah, and the worry I would have there is, you know, we know the building costs have been going up and up and up. Will they continue to go up? When you know, when are they eventually going to have to bite the bullet and say we need these schools? And these are schools that have been identified as a need for them in a particular area, but 58, and that's a lot of schools to actually have been put on uh, hold. Okay, other comments in to us. We were talking in the last hour with Daniel about how to protect yourself. And unfortunately, we're seeing an increase in uh, violence uh, be it, and, and verbal abuse and the company he works for they offer training and I, I thought it was interesting to hear him say they go into schools as well but they offer training to companies as well to protect their employees some of your commentary on that Shay says what do you think Patricia is the main cause for this surge or spike in violence and anger uh, towards both men and women Shay is pondering is it the excess and surge and spike of drug use and abuse I don't, I don't know I don't know if it is I don't know if there's been any study studies done on that. Certainly during pandemic times, people's fuses seemed to be much shorter. People just seem to lose their temper uh, and nobody seems to have patience anymore. I mean, you talk to anybody who works in the retail sector, for example, they'll tell you that if anybody has to wait any what, what may seem to somebody like an excessively long period of time, it's the, it's the poor shopkeeper, the person working behind the counter that can get ferocious abuse uh, from somebody. I mean, I heard, for example, in one of our main uh, supermarkets, a young lad who was only working there over Christmas, you know, got a part time job in college getting a bit of money together over Christmas and was on the tills in, in a checkout and was getting verbally abused by a woman and it was a kind of a more senior member of staff a staff member who was there longer went over to say sorry you know what is everything okay because she could see the young lad was under real pressure didn't know how to address or answer this woman and it turned out the woman was giving out to this young lad because something had gone up in price and it had doubled in price in recent months and she was taking it out on the young lad who was scanning her shopping on the conveyor belt you know as if he had decided to set the price and doubled the price of whatever it was she was buying crazy situation and that would never have happened before so yeah I don't so I don't know if it's anything to do with the spike resurge in drug use I mean obviously some of the extreme violence that we see out in our streets Shay for sure I think you probably could could point to uh, drug use but I, I don't know people just losing their temper is that what it is down to and somebody else thank you for your WhatsApp Shay and somebody else is listening to your show on safe and how to keep a safe. Just a suggestion. What about self-defence courses? Are they now not needed uh, for people? Actually, I was going to ask Daniel about that, but I ran out of time. I, I don't know. I, I, and, and I do know of people who go out and learn uh, self-defence and people who take up martial arts for that very same reason to protect themselves, particularly people who know that they're going to be in situations where perhaps they work antisocial hours and they're going to be walking alone at night or when it's dark and they can't get taxis, etc. So I have heard of people uh, doing that. Will we see more and more people taking up self-defence classes? Maybe we will. 0818 103 103. And then Tom in Bantry was listening to my chat with uh, Sheena Mitchell talking about the drug shortages we have at the moment, but also talking about how underutilised 
our wonderful pharmacists are. And we've got, I mean, everybody lives close to a pharmacy and people can pop into. And if you go in regularly in, into a pharmacy, you'll know, you know, they are just a mine of information. But they are highly trained, highly skilled, and they feel they could be offering more to the general public and taking pressure away from our GP service, which we already know are already over uh, stretched. But like it's, it's almost like they're knocking their heads against a brick wall. I mean, I spoke with Sheena before Christmas when she put a really good detailed letter together to the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar outlining what she has seen working in other countries and how we could do it here in this country and it would help the health service and it would be of great benefit to the general public but they're just they're getting nowhere and again it was brought up again as she said yesterday in the Dáil the Oireachtas Help Committee but she she even felt disillusioned didn't she listening to what had happened at the Oireachtas Committee Tom and Bantry says if you've ever been to the United States in the very large supermarket chains they all have a pharmacy in store and there will be a pharmacist there who can offer all kinds of services even within some of the larger supermarkets they might even have a GP service uh, available but the pharmacists in America are allowed to offer a lot more than our pharmacists are able to offer here. Why are they being so uh, restricted? And it isn't you don't even have to go to the States. Sheena was talking about working in Scotland Uh, you know anyone who's ever been to Spain, I don't know if it's the same in France but certainly across a lot of the mainland Europe you can go into the pharmacist and if it's a, a simple enough ailment that you have, they will be able to prescribe for you. Whereas here in this country, well, the, the, the pharmacist will know exactly what the GP is going to give you. They have to send you back to the GP in order to get the prescription, which is completely wasting the time of the doctor. Also wasting the time of the person who's gone into the chemist first, then has to go to the doctor. And if they, they don't have a medical card, there's an additional cost involved as well. 0818 103 103 on the eviction ban. Some commentary in on that including Michael uh, saying in relation to the eviction ban the question I never hear being asked is why did 40,000 landlords leave the rental market had they still stayed in the market we wouldn't have the problems that we have uh, today. Well, many landlords left, they say, because of bureaucracy, the red tape that's involved in, in it. And the majority left is because how they're taxed. It's They're taxed the same as if it's personal uh, taxation, as if it's working, it's put into... Uh, as if they've worked to earn that money so they're taxed the same way that they would be say PAYE worker so they don't make a lot of money out of it at the end of the day and people feel they're not getting a lot of bang for their buck and they can have a lot of hassle attached to it they can have bad tenants I mean we had the the, the gentleman who's moved to County Meath and he's got tenants who are refusing to pay his rent and we all know we hear of tenants who wreck a property as well and that's that they're in a small number but obviously if that has happened to you you can understand why people will want to get out of it and say don't want the hassle of being a landlord particularly when they're not making a lot of money out of it I mean the smaller landlords who only have one property are the accidental landlords that we hear about uh, quite a lot uh, and Mick then was listening to the commentary when I was saying about Sinn Féin were really taking the government uh, to task. Mick said it's worth pointing out that the last time Stormont was up and running, the worst housing uh, problem in Great Britain was in Northern Ireland. Who was in government at that time? Yes, the housing minister was a Sinn Féin uh, member. They seem to be able to waffle in the doll, but they don't put it into practice when they are governing in the North. And then someone else was on and this came up again yesterday saying the reason the government introduced
introduced the ban is because they are all landlords is just a racket. Can I dispel that myth um, uh, please because they're not all landlords. Yes, some of our TDs are landlords but not all of them. And I was reading a piece from Philip Ryan, the political editor of the Independent, uh, Irish Independent during the week and he did a piece on the number of TDs who are also landlords has actually dropped significantly from this doll compared to the last doll and it's very much mirroring the exodus from the rental market by other property owners. If you look at the Dáil Register of Members' Interests for last year, which of course has to be published by the Aroctus uh, uh, and the latest one was published uh, in recent weeks, it shows 27 TDs in the Dáil are currently listed as having rental properties. So that's 27 out of how many deputies do we have? 160. So we can't say all of them are landlords but 27 of them are. But when you compare that to the previous doll, there was 35 TDs. So it's dropped from 35 down to 27. The doll register of members' interest shows 16% of the 160 TDs are landlords. Now who does it include? It does include the Taoiseach. The Taoiseach is renting out the apartment that he owns in his constituency because of course he uh, is living now with his partner uh, Matthew Bowers so he's obviously moved into Matthew's property and he's renting out his own apartment. The Health Minister Stephen Donnelly um, and of course he was one of the ones who spoke out about the lack of supports for landlords at Cabinet uh, during a discussion on ending the eviction ban. He does own um, uh, two properties that he rents out. The Education Minister Norma Foley is an interesting one. She rents out an apartment she half owns. <laughs> now maybe it's her husband owns the other half. That's in Rathgar in Dublin. The Agriculture Minister Charlie McConnellogue he lets out a room in an apartment he owns on the outskirts of the city but if he's only letting out a room does that that doesn't qualify as a landlord, does it? Does not fall under the rent room rental scheme. Anyway, the Dáil's biggest landlord, of course, of all, is the independent TD, Michael Healy Ray. Michael Healy Ray has 16 rental properties. He also has or has listed in the Dáil Register two vacant properties that he owns. And he also put a, put a note into the register that he also has a contract to supply accommodation for Ukrainian refugees in Kerry. Then the register also also shows Fianna Fáil TD Sean Hahi. He followed the trend of landlords. He sold up his property. He had two rental properties, but he got rid of them. Uh, Sinn Féin has taken a strong stance against the lifting of the eviction ban, but its TDs, Pa Daly and Johnny Quirk, they're both landlords. Under the independent TDs, Noel Grealish, Sean Canny, Matt Shannon and Carol Nolan. They all have rental properties. Looking at the Fine Gael party then, Richard Bruton, Colin Burke, Michael Creed, Alan Dillon, Frank Feehan, Paul Kyo and John Paul Phelan all are listed as having rental properties. And Fianna Fáil TDs include Robert Troy, Michael Moynihan, Brendan Smith, James Lawless, Andreas Moynihan and Thomas Byrne are all landlords. But the actual figure is 16% of the 160 TDs are uh, landlords. So we, can we dispel the myth when people say all of them are landlords? They're not. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An experienced site dumper driver with groundworks experience that's wanted for civils roadworks job in Limerick. Emails to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. 
Mallow Print, they're recruiting reception slash account slash admin assistant. Previous office experience is desirable. You also need to have fluent English. Email a cover letter and your CV, please, to jobs at mallowprint.com. Bandon Credit Union, they've got vacancies for a senior loans officer. CVs to Cathy at accesscu.ie. And please note the closing date is two weeks today, Friday, the 24th of March. And the Clonakilty Park Hotel, they've got vacancies for a bar person, a night porter, and a kitchen porter. CVs to M. Carolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. A charity and support group for one parent families is calling for families with children to be prioritised in the coming weeks and months following the government's decision to lift the eviction ban. Karen Kiernan is Chief Executive of One Family and Karen joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. Now, are you already hearing from parents who know they will have to leave their current homes because they already have a valid notice to quit? Absolutely. I think every organisation working with families is hearing these horrific stories of people who knew that their time was just being extended, um, but that actually they're now facing into homelessness. And I suppose part of the fear is that we know that the government is running out of places to put families um, who need emergency or homeless accommodation. So that's really alarming. Um, And it was because of the, um, you know, for every family that does go into emergency accommodation, it means potentially an adult is being told you need to sleep on the streets. So the whole thing just has a knock on effect and it's really negative and stressful for individual families. But obviously then as a system, it just causes more problems as well. And the majority of those families, Karen, who would have received a notice to quit but got a little bit of breathing space because the ban, the eviction ban was in place, have they spent the last number of months searching, constantly searching for alternative housing? Oh, absolutely. And and as we know, we hear all the time, they're trying to get other housing is really, really difficult. It is the needle in a haystack. And then for many of the families that we work with, they are on very low incomes. They might be working part time and they need um, assistance with their rent. So landlords can pick and choose. They don't have to take someone who's getting rent supplement or a HAP payment. Um, they, they can have the middle class couple who works in a multinational rather than a family. So it's completely up to the private landlord provider who they want to have. And so that makes it really difficult for people who are perceived to you know, be more needy or to be less reliable. Um, even though if the state is helping you with rent, it is very reliable. But um, we see discrimination against people with children, against people with disabilities, um, against ethnic minority people all the time because landlords can pick who they want. And there are some good landlords out there, but um, a lot of them, they are in business. That is what they're trying to do is to make money to pay for their mortgage. Um, so the system is really, really imperfect, as we know, because we've relied on the private sector and you don't deliver good quality public housing for children, parents, families doing that. 
it's you know it's at the whim of the market. And is it illegal for a landlord to refuse to take a half payment? Um, I don't know. Is the answer. yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't think it is. I think IREC has done some work on this, but I'm not sure that it's illegal because we do hear of discrimination all the time um, and we know that it can happen in more subtle ways uh, rather than just refusing to take somebody. Um, so things can be priced out of the range of someone um, on HAP. Um, we know that a lot of families are topping up their uh, whatever supports they're getting from government way beyond what they're supposed to be. And that also pushes them into poverty, but they're trying to compete with people who may have much higher salaries. Um, so it's a, it's a very messy area when you're relying on the private sector. And because there's a shortage, um, you know, it, 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 it's the people at the margins who are going to get squeezed out. And mm. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Lots of families who are already living in homeless accommodation long-term you know, whose addresses are hotel rooms and um, who are trying to do their best for their families who are doing an employability course with us or a parenting course and trying to move on. But the stress of living in one room and not having a roof over your head is horrific. And it's horrific for people to be able to parent well. It's horrific for children who can't socialize, who can't have normal relationships and friendships. Um, you know, and that casts a shadow on their lives because children develop very rapidly and things that happen them when they're little people affect them when they're big people. So it's really important that children don't end up in homelessness if at all possible and that they are moved into permanent housing as soon as possible.
and the system at the moment is just not good enough. Yeah, and, and telling tenants that they may have first option to bid on the house if they've been asked to leave because the landlord wants to sell up, that's not of any use to many one-parent families, is it, who, who wouldn't be able to afford to buy the property anyway? No, because we know that the way we've pushed things in Ireland is that the, the two biggest costs to parents are childcare and a roof over the family head. So that's hard enough to do on two good incomes. But if you have one income or half an income because you're not able to work full time because you don't have childcare, it's practically impossible. Never mind the fact that the people who have least amount of savings in Ireland are lone parents because they just haven't been able to save because of the constant costs of things and the low incomes that they're on. They're never going to have that deposit. So, of course, there are people who do who do manage and that's great. But for a lot of people on their own, it is just an impossible dream. It's, it, you know, it, it's just not realistic. Yeah. And anyone who does get a notice to quit, Karen, I know I've spoken with um, Threshold, uh, the, the housing charity, like they always say to either contact somebody like Threshold to make sure that the notice to quit is, is valid. I mean, it, it, it buys people a little bit of time. It can do if it's not done properly, yes. And some landlords do things that are not um, procedurally correct or legal. Um, and Threshold is very knowledgeable in that area. Um, but we will still see landlords who did do everything correctly. And we are going to see just a deluge, unfortunately, coming into the, the summer season of families who are going to be in very, very straightened circumstances. And it is very difficult to know what to do. And I suppose the frustrating thing is, is that the correct actions were not taken by government during the eviction ban to make sure that there was a plan in place for the families that we knew were going to come down the line. So one of the things that many of us who are working day in, day out with families have been calling for is a family homelessness strategy. Like we need government to work across departments and to prioritise and say, OK, let's look at the children. And most homeless families are one parent families. It's, a, it's generally um, a mum on her own with one or two young children. That's 55% of all homeless families. So there's a very particular need for a task force and a plan to deal with this. Because as I said, the longer children stay in really, um, I suppose, housing or accommodation that limits their ability to live their lives, the longer the impact that will have on them over their whole lives. And so that's really, really difficult. Um, and there are things that can be done. We know that because of some of the rules, for example, after a, a, a family might separate, go through judicial separation or divorce, um, some of the rules there could be strengthened to help people keep their family home and not end up in homelessness or unhappy. Um, there are definitely things that can be done and government needs to do them now. We're now in, in the emergency. If this is now a, a, you know, a national emergency that we're facing into, um, and it just doesn't seem like some of the more innovative policy measures have been taken that could have been. And so now we're looking at, at, at people really heading into an, in, an unsure summer. And as I said, the emotional toll that that takes on people is just horrific. And that's really hard. And Karen, are you worried that, you know, I mean, I've heard other homeless charities, you know, talk about this, what they expect to be a tsunami of, of homelessness in the coming months. Are you worried that there won't be enough emergency accommodation? There won't be enough. That it's not ideal, a hotel or, or a B&B, but at least it's it's a warm place for somebody to put their head down. Are you worried there won't be enough? Well, I think we know there isn't going to be enough 
I think we can see that already. And, you know, it's really unfortunate that people who are coming to Ireland seeking protection from from the, the, the horrific circumstances they've come from in other countries, um, you know, where there are children, they're being told they've nowhere to stay and they have to sleep on the streets. So that's, you know, we're not meeting our international obligations to those people who really need our help. So absolutely, we know that there is difficulty sourcing accommodation and hotels can choose to not work um, with uh, and, and provide accommodation to homeless families anymore if they don't wish to. And, you know, some hotels are saying, well, we're going to keep a percentage. Um, you know, that would be good to see. Um, you know, what else can be done? And I suppose there's also interesting ideas from Spark, which is a single parent group around using the, the lever of capital gains tax, tax to try and encourage landlords to stay in the market and not to evict and sell up. So, um, you know, there are things that can be done, but we need them done right now. We need a task force this week around family homelessness and we need things put in place. It's already nearly too late, but there still are things that can be done and they need to be done now. So it was a last opportunity that period when the eviction ban was in, was in place. The government will say, oh, we, 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 we did the best that we could. But you're telling me today that they should have been doing more. Yeah, I mean, I think in our sector, when organisations speak to each other, which we do all the time, um, we, we've, we've come up with ideas. We've come up with things that should have happened. Uh, things that we have publicly called for, such as a family homelessness strategy, and they have not happened. So then you're left with the frustration of what did government think was going to happen when the eviction ban was lifted? We know what's going to happen. Families are going to end up homeless. There may not be enough accommodation for everybody who needs it. And that is an emergency. And that is really, really difficult. And And so part of what we're saying as well is that it needs to be okay to prioritise families who are living in emergency accommodation and prioritise them into housing that becomes available so that children don't spend long periods of time in emergency or homeless accommodation. And then to hear the Taoiseach uh, yesterday, uh, Karen, when he was before the Finance Oireachtas Committee, uh, and I quote, he said, if there's a massive increase in homelessness, then we will have to figure out what is the best way to reverse that. And I I thought that was astounding that he was saying, well, we'll wait and see. If there is a big, well, we'll we'll figure it out then. They should be figuring it out now. I, I think so. I mean, that doesn't sound like a plan to me. That sounds like let's wait and see how bad it is. What's the public outcry? And then what what can we throw at it? So that's not a sensible plan. OK, you know, so that's alarming. OK. And just finally, when you're talking about, you know, I still can't wrap my head around trying to raise a child in, in a hotel room, you know, whenever we're lucky enough to go away, even for a night or two to a hotel. I'm always of late conscious of how would you actually live in this in this room? I'm thinking children coming home from school trying to do do their homework. On, on average, how long are families that you're dealing with, uh, Karen, how long are they staying in those hotel rooms and, until they find um, alternative accommodation? Well, there used to be um, a quicker progression. They might have been there for three, six months. Now it's longer. So, you know, now there's children who are growing up and, you know, parents are doing their best, but it is really stressful and difficult. And hotels can restrict, um, you know, what long term tenants can do. And some people might be in less ideal accommodation or they may not be able to use all the facilities. And some people have to move a lot. So they could be moved quite far away from the child's school. 
Um, so there's just and they're, you know, if they have a community of support. So it's absolutely not ideal. It is for short term emergency only. Um, you know, that's the way that it should be, because it's just so hard for those parents and children. I suppose another thing that could be done um, as well as limiting the amount of time children spend in emergency accommodation is to make sure that there's a child and, and family support worker put in so that there, for every number of families in emergency accommodation, there is a worker supporting them. So this is what they've done in other countries. So there are lots of things that they could that still be, be doing. Done. It's just they haven't been done. Yeah. And, you know, think, thinking of people. But it's never too late. So yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. But you know, do this now before summer. And the fact that we call it emergency accommodation, how anyone could be in there for six months or more, that's not a that's not an emergency oh, that's years. long term ok listen yeah. Karen we leave it there thank you for that and uh, you do a fantastic work um, at One Family so uh, keep it up and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning thank you very much and can I just say that if anyone wants support they can contact our helpline during office hours they can get onto our website onefamily.ie and they you know we're a national service for anyone living in a one parent family who wants help or support okay well done thanks for that karen thank uh, you good morning to you that is uh, karen kiernan who is chief executive of one family you can see there's a lot of commentary coming in and i promise you i will get back uh, to it but i want to move to a completely different issue because have you ever pictured yourself and your very active family members taking part in the tv program ireland's fittest family. Well if you have then you need to turn up the radio and listen to my next guest Eamon McCarthy from Kildallery in North Cork. They're planning to bring Davy Fitzgerald and his version of Ireland's fittest family to the village in July and Eamon joins me this morning with all of the details. Good morning to you Eamon. Good morning, Trisha. How are you doing? I, I'm, I'm very good. I have to say, I'm a huge fan of Ireland's uh, Fish's Family. It's one of those programmes I love to watch. Um, not that I could ever dream of being fish enough to enter, but I think it's, it's a fantastic programme. Now, what you're planning is a one-day uh, event. Is it still a family team of four? Ex- explain who you want to take part. Um, it's a one-day event, yes, uh, Trisha. You're right on that. But... Um for this event to run in a local area or outside of, we'll say, a national uh, program, um, the way it's, it's set up is it's set up for a team, and it's called, uh, we'll say, we're, we're running Cox Fitted Superstars. Okay. So it's not confined to a family. Right. So it can be made up of uh, four people um, on, each, on each team. Uh, there's one, they all have to be over... 16 years of age. One person has to be over 35 years of age. There has to be one female on each team, at least one female. But the same applies if, if there are you can't have a team of four females, there has to be a male as well. Okay, so that's good. Um, and, and one over 35. One so, over 35. Yeah, so, and so that rules out getting four very fit young girls or young boys hooking up for a team and nobody nobody having a chance against them. Yes. Yeah, yes, that's, it, it, yeah. It levels the playing field. It does, it does, yeah. yeah. And they don't, as you say, they don't need to be related. So, it, But you no. can, if you want to, if you have a very fit family, you can put the family in if you want. You can. We actually have a, we have a, we're running a prize for a family. Right. It could be a separate prize than the overall prize. If there are, because we have interest from families. Okay. You know? Now, so what 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 happens on the day? What will teams be put through? I mean, we're all thinking of Ireland's fishes family and things like hanging tough and all of that. Are, mm-hmm. are you are you setting up things like that? Well, the way it, the way it works with is uh, Davy Davy Fitz and his team will arrive in Kildare on 
um, the Friday, uh, the top, during the top eight. They will build a course, and on in that course there will be uh, fifteen different obstacles. Okay. Um, we don't know yet what they will be uh, because uh, we had him in the we had him with us last Saturday night, and what he said was we will release um, by degrees the different obstacles as uh, the teams are put together, and they will know most of them uh, before the event. Now the hang tough. And the uh, ramp are in us, oh. and uh, the step up. Now on Saturday night we had uh, the hang top. We had a comp- we had a few of the competitors having a court at us. Yeah. And I must say, there was one young girl uh, who was obviously too young to participate in this side of the event, but uh, she put them all to shame. <laughs> I tell you, she would have still be there if we if we left her. And actually, I, I, if my memory serves me right, that happened during the programme as well. There was a very young, it was one, I'm sure it was one of the girls from, from outside Mallow. One of the twins was really good. Yes. And you really have to have incredible upper body strength for hanging off. But the way, the way they have this thing um, graded, like you can't stay up in the thing for, for the day. All right. There's a certain length of time that is allotted to each particular um, event. Okay. Uh, so, like we just say for the hang tough, the, the maximum anyone can stop in it is four minutes. Oh, and you'd rather no, be... And right. if, the <laughs> if the four team members did that, like, I mean, it would increase their chances big time. Yeah. Or if they did on the ramp, on that ramp, but on the, the step up, which is very, very tough. What's the step uh, up? It's your... It's, uh, we basically call it a box. Yeah. Which is about two foot high. Yeah. And you're jumping up off one leg onto it. You have to put, you have to land with most of your foot on it. Yeah. And then back down and the other one up. And oh. the, team, the, the team have to do 180 of those, which uh, basically in two minutes. And by God, it's tough. tough. It is very tough, yeah. Now, and then they go on into the course of 15 other obstacles. Mm. Uh, which we don't know yet which, what they will be because what David said uh, in other places they've done it like uh, there will be there will be things that no one will know about because just to make it even for everybody mm. you mm. know and it proves to be it will prove to be a great event There's usually big bales of hay they have to climb over which are always are always pretty uh, tricky <laughs> but it's it's that finishing ramp Oh, yes. and it's almost at the end of the obstacle course. So your legs are nearly in jelly anyway. And then you've got to try and get up that ramp is, oh. Well, that was, Trisha, if, if you get that car, <coughs> you know, you're... You're, um, you're doing well. Adrenaline, the adrenaline will, will nearly get you. And if you have one or two, they can get up on top of the ramp. But he said he has never yet failed to get anybody over that ramp. Even well people will say that are, as the man says, uh, similar age to myself now. Uh, around the six years of age, so like <laughs> they would, he has got them all up, never failed on anyone. Well done, and, and he's he a great. Davy Fitz is a great motivator as well, isn't he? I mean, he really, uh, you know, of all of the coaches on the TV program, he's roaring and screaming, but he can really motivate his t- the teams. Oh my God, uh, motivation is is oh, he just he's just an amazing guy. We had him like as I say last Saturday night. And I have to say one thing, like, the way he addressed the younger generation on Saturday night, they were, they were fantastic. They sat in front of him in the, in the hall, 
and the questions they asked him about all different aspects of sport, about life, and the way he spoke to them. And I'll tell you this much. Um, whatever his costumes under the air, it's what they would with if he got two to one person. Well done. Well I done. Mean, well he said. was absolutely amazed. And the way the kids, I mean, they flocked around him. And like about the year, and they are talking about maybe getting rid of this problem. And if they came down and saw the reaction of the children to see, to, to get it fixed, I can tell you one thing, they had a, a second thought about uh, scrapping. Yeah, I think, it's the the, I think it's the biggest mistake RTE will make. And I, I know that they, they, they've said they're not going to run with it again, but it might be looked at. But because it's such a popular, it's such a popular programme. Anyway, come back, come back to yeah. what you're doing. How many teams? I, I take there will be a limit. Will there on the number of teams Sorry, that can enter? Yeah, the, the, the limit is 50 teams. On, because 50. It's, it's, it's basically what he says, like, it will, the team will get through basically in eight minutes, eight to nine minutes. Okay, because, yeah, there'll be a time factor. So 50 teams yeah. can enter, they'll get eliminated then as the day goes on, and then obviously yes. a grand final, is it? There'll be a grand final. The team, be eight teams with the best team, with the best time, eight, nine, whatever it will be, if they're all around the same. Uh, they go through their final, which will be held in later on in the evening. And then we'll have a, we'll have a whole in in the marquee later on, where the presentation of prizes and there'll be music and whatever. But, um, We've so far like we've we're halfway there. We've up to twenty five teams registered already. Brilliant! And there's so a there's a top prize of five thousand euro. We have we've a five thousand euro for the winning for the winning team, and we're delighted to say that Sorensen Civil Engineering uh, came in with us there, and they've sponsored that prize for us. That's brilliant. Uh, and then on uh, the day, Eamon, I'm assuming people will be able to bring along supporters, and people will be able to go along and watch and cheer people on. Oh God, yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean. Um, we are very lucky in our in our facility in Kudari. Like, hopefully, it's a fine day, and if it is, well, we have a lovely bank there, and they're seating around, and uh, people will be able to watch it all day long. Or if it happens to be, if the weather is a bit inclement, we also have a stand in the in the GA field where we'll be able to set up the field there, of the the, the the course there, and people will be able to sit inside there. And either either one of the two areas, it's where the crowd will be for the. The ramp at the end, and okay. that's where all the excitement is. <laughs> Come here, did you did you attempt the hanging tough yourself? The other I night, tell you one thing, no, Trisha, <laughs> my ideas of hanging tough are well over. I, I don't know if hanging. I, oh no, no, no. <laughs> you passed on that one. Okay, how I can passed. how can people enter, Eamon? Well, if you if people can enter by um, if they want to our Facebook page or our Instagram page on CoxFitnessSuperstars at gmail dot com. Okay. Uh, they, or they can contact or get onto Kildare Festival page. Yeah, we have our festival. Everything is up on the festival page. The festival page, page okay. Uh, there's a telephone number there for uh, Louise. Now, I just want to mention Louise because Louise O'Brien, so Louise instigated this idea for us uh, early last year. There's a lot of work going into it at this stage and um, she she may be talking to you later on in the in the season about this as well. Okay, coming closer to it. So have you mm-hmm. Louise's number there? I'm gonna give you out Louise's Go number on, there yeah. now. <laughs> yes, it's O eight seven. Yeah. Nine two two four nine six one. 087-922-4961 and you can yeah. actually WhatsApp or text Louise as well. Okay, listen, Eamon, yeah. we wish you luck with this. Just one other thing, yeah. if you don't mind, Patricia. Uh, this is open to, like, all clubs. It's, they, like, it can be uh, soccer clubs, rugby clubs, uh, gyms. We've a lot of great interest from, uh, from different gyms around the area. 
but uh, from all different organisations, teams get out of it, fellas meetings inside the pub, women meetings inside the pub, put a team together, and we will we'll help them all through it in, in fundraising and the whole lot. Okay, and Mike from the truck says, if you had a name in McCarthy in every village in every town, this country would be buzzing. Well done, well said. <laughs> okay, we, we leave it there, we leave it there, Eamon, we'll talk again. Thanks for that and thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you very much. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Of course, we're heading into Oscars weekend. The Oscars uh, will be held next uh, Sunday uh, in the, for us here, it'll be in the early hours of the morning in uh, Los Angeles. Well, Jared has been on to say, Patricia, uh, for anybody interested in the Oscars, they might be interested in watching it live or recording to watch it at a more convenient time. Yeah, because it's the small hours of the morning, isn't, isn't it, Jared? It's on Sky Showcase and Sky Arts on Sunday night from midnight to 3am have a nice weekend and back at you Gerard and, and I take it that you've gone to the effort of sending in the text you are an Oscar watcher and an Oscar fan and you'll be staying up watching it as well actually I was reading in the papers you know, there's lots of commentary in the papers about the Irish team over at the Oscars the Meskels well the Meskels siblings Paul along with his younger brother Donica and his younger sister Nell they went off to the Oscar one of the Oscar it was the Vanity Fair uh, party last night but poor old uh, Barry Keoghan, who is up for stunning performance in the Banshees of uh, Inishirin. Uh, BA, he flew out with BA to Los Angeles and they've only lost his luggage. And of course, in the luggage is the clothes and what he wants to wear for the Oscars. And he's got like tons of sentimental stuff. He was saying on Twitter yesterday that he wants to wear and he wants to bring with him probably some little good luck charms, some things to have in his pocket, uh, maybe. And now I don't know, uh, up to this morning, his luggage certainly hadn't been found. Hopefully there's a few days and they will be able to locate his uh, luggage. If not, he is going to be running around LA trying to find out what he's going to wear, etc. Because, well, not so much for the boys, but certainly for the girls, it's all about the gooners and what they're wearing. And I certainly the Colleen Kuhn gang will be the ones to watch because it can be guaranteed lots of them are going to turn up with Irish designer uh, clothes. Uh, so it'll be wonderful to see. That's a great show case for the Irish uh, it really is 0818103103 Pat was on to us earlier saying if we could put a shout out particularly to people in the West Cork area anybody else in the West Cork area having a problem with Imagine Broadband Pat said there is no communication from the company of an internet outage he's been trying to contact the company since early this morning by phone at one stage he was on hold for a full 40 minutes and then he got cut off the frustration of that and he says he's, he's even been trying to go through a live chat facility he, he can't and he's wondering is it just isolated to where he's living or are other people experiencing problems with Imagine Broadband now we have contacted uh, Imagine Broadband just to try to get an update for Pat anybody else in, particularly in the West Cork area but let's put it out further anywhere across Cork City and County who has Imagine Broadband are you having problems with it today because it could just be some kind of an outage oh wait 1-8-103-103. Now, some of your commentary coming into the programme. I want to bring you a, a WhatsApp that we got in from Finbar earlier that really is kind of kind of 
jaw dropping when I read what he had to say. And kind of this is a follow on to we were talking with Sheena Mitchell from the pharmacy union talking about how the pharmacists, if the government will only allow them to do more, they're highly trained, all of our pharmacists, they could be able to do much more, which would be helping out the general public, but also helping out the overstretched uh, GP uh, practice. And, And we know our health service is struggling at the moment. So anything that can be done to lighten the load surely has to be looked at. Well, that's prompted. Finbar uh, to say another health problem that is really going to hit society, dare I say if it hasn't already hit it and that's to do with people who are in need of dental work and certainly if you need of emergency dental work Finbar was at the dental hospital and he's been there twice in the last two weeks and while he's been sitting there waiting to be seen he's been you know obviously observing what's going on people coming in and out and he says I just feel so sorry for people who've come into the dental hospital people have arrived in in absolutely desperate pain with either a broken tooth or a filling has fallen out and he said I'm sitting there watching in horror as the news the reception staff have to tell the people who arrive in in absolute abject pain sorry we can't do anything for you today also suggesting to them did you not try your own dentist could you go back to your own uh, dentist and then saying look we can put you on a waiting list and Finbar said well he was sitting there listening to people asking well how long will it be on the waiting list you could be waiting three to four months Finbar said I said in my own mind three to four months with a toothache or a filling that's fallen uh, out uh, Finbar wonders, does the reception staff, are they not aware that it's almost impossible to get a dentist in this country that's taking on medical card patients? Finbar said when he was there, there was a young girl came in in desperate pain. Her face was really badly swollen. She was in so much pain. And again, same thing has been said. Sorry, we can't see it today. But this girl dug her heels in. Obviously, I imagine nearly off her head with the pain. And if her face was swollen, that pain had been going on probably for a few days. So she was adamant. She said, I am not leaving here until I get some kind of treatment. But there's a sting in the tail of that. Finbar says, just to let people know, if you do go to the dental hospital and you are lucky enough to get one of the appointments and you do have a medical card, it's not free. There's a charge of €50 for treatment. The girl didn't have money on her and she was explaining she'd have to wait until she cashed her lone parents allowance which was obviously due someday that week she ended up bringing her mother her mother had to bring the money out to the dental hospital to pay for the, for the treatment Fimber said I don't know if she was seen or not but I had decided there and then that if money was going to be the option I would have given her the 50 euro uh, myself I keep thinking of that girl and hope she got seen it was on uh, Wednesday so Fimber says coming down the tracks in this country will be a dental crisis because certainly the dental hospital are not able to cope. They, they're they at the point of turning people away uh, in, in pain and obviously they have a set number of appointments so it can't be an open door service letting everybody in but there is a huge problem Finbar. We've spoken about it, we've heard from people who've contacted us trying to get a dentist that accepts medical card patients. We've spoken with the Irish Dental um, Union numerous occasions they say that what's there at the moment is just not fit for purpose. It's a very old, outdated scheme that's in place for medical card patients, not fit for purpose. And for that reason, dentists are just opting out of it. And the more that opt out, they're not being replaced. But like all of us at some stage in our lives have had a toothache. It's got to be the worst pain ever. I mean, you literally, when I say you can be off your head with the pain, it's just excruciating and you'll do anything and go anywhere 
to get rid of that toothache. But uh, that's the situation that's happening at our dental hospital at the moment. Anyway, they have to turn. They ha- they obviously have to turn people away. They don't have enough. I, I wonder, could, do, do they run emergency appointments? I mean, how many people turn up like that every day with a really bad uh, toothache? It's shocking. It really is shocking, and it's something that really has to be uh, dealt with. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. We spoke and we've been speaking all this week about the ban on evictions being lifted at the end of the month. And then when I was speaking with Karen Kiernan today of one family, I mentioned about the HAP payments. And is it illegal for a landlord to say to somebody, no, I'm not taking you because you're on a HAP uh, payment. But of course, as Karen said, they don't necessarily have to tell you I'm not taking you because you're on a HAP payment. But they, the landlord now can pick and choose because so many people are coming forward to rent the property so they can decide whether they want to take a a HAP re- tenant or not. That prompted Jer to say he went along to see a two-bedroomed house. Now, he lives on a disability allowance, which means he also has a HAP payment. The rent per month was €1,115. Uh, Euro. Then it went up to €1,145 as other people were also bidding to rent the house. I informed the landlord I could meet that amount. He asked me how. And I said, oh, I'll get an increase on the HAP. He said, I... I John said, I knew I wouldn't, but I'd have paid him the difference, but just telling him I would get it. The price then went to €1,150. In the end, the landlord admitted to me that he wouldn't be renting me the house as he felt due to my disability. The house wouldn't have been suitable, even though I'd viewed the house and the house was uh, perfect and it wouldn't in any way have affected my disability whatsoever. The house in the end was given to a couple who were paying privately. How do I know that? I went back to the house and I met with the couple and I also, they were very honest in telling me they're paying the original price that the landlord had offered it at 1,115, not the 1,150 that it had gone up to when John was dealing with the landlord. I feel when it comes to renting or buying a house, surely you should know who you're bidding against. Not necessarily the identity, but at least a name. Otherwise, you can be bidding against yourself. And how does anybody know that the other bids are uh, genuine? Yeah. And again, John, you're not the first that I've heard say that who feels that the just the mention of being on HAP felt it went against him when they tried to uh, rent. And just one final one. This is in on pharmacies. You're speaking about pharmacies on the programme today. Well, we have ministers, says Heidi, in positions that really, I feel, don't have a clue how to operate in the jobs that they are responsible for. They need to go into any local chemist and see how they are run and then see what changes need to be made to make them more efficient and a better service for all. But this also applies to most of them. We have a transport minister in Eamon Ryan who's trying to drive us back to the dark old days. Sure, if he had his way, we'd all be back in a horse and cart. A good few of our ministers, to me, society, feel like dinosaurs. They won't move with the times unless it's all to do with wokeness. And I won't even get into wokeness. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. A bingo night in aid of further equipment for Cara June. Junior School in Mayfield is going to be held in the Cotton Ball in Mayfield tonight at 8. Uh, music, bingo, 
and fun times and spot prizes all tonight all are welcome bingo's on in Mallow GAA Complex 815 with a jackpot of 5,300 euro and the 60th West Cork Drama Festival that opens in Rossmore Theatre tonight and it runs up until Saturday the 18th of March show start at 8 o'clock nightly tickets are 15 euro and they're available at rossmoretheatre.com Kildallery Bingo that's on tonight 8 o'clock in the store at the Creamery Yard Doors open at 7. They've got a jackpot of €1,400. And Jack O'Rourke will play in the Glen Theatre in Bantier tomorrow night. Tickets available at 029 56239. And Strictly Come Dancing Bantry. It's in aid of St Finbar's Boys National School. That's taking place tomorrow Saturday with six class pupils and the West Cork Jesters taking to the floor to raise funds for a much needed year round playing field in the school grounds. And it'll be used by both the school pu- pupils and the Jesters. Good luck to everybody involved. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. This is Court Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. And just a quick couple of add-ons to the community diary. Marion, who's been on to say Middleton GAA bingo is on as usual tonight at half past seven with great prizes on offer. But because this day next week is going to be St. Patrick's Day, the St. Patrick's Weekend bingo is going to be on on Thursday the 16th rather than Friday the 17th. But it goes ahead tonight. That's bingo, uh, bingo in the GAA Hall in Middleton and uh, Theo Park have been on to say dancing in Theo Park is on tonight music to Glen Flynn 9pm to 11.30 also Rambling House on Sunday from 2.30 onwards sing a song play a tune or just come and relax admission 5 euro and teas will be served everybody welcome to uh, Theo uh, Park now just this came in and apologies Eamon and I was I, I was hoping to do this earlier just didn't get around to it uh, but Eamon is wondering is, and looking for our other the looking for how other other listeners feel about the views on the proposed ban to cut the amount of time that will be spent on learning the Irish language in primary schools and instead pupils will be using some of that time to take up a foreign language. Eamon thinks it is appalling as this is our national language. He says you've got every single member of the cabinet and all the junior ministers and some others travelling all over the world next week for St Patrick's Day going out to promote Ireland. The Irish language, the Irish film industry, they'll be promoting all of that and this is their solution to cut the amount of time that people will learn Irish in schools. What a joke this country has turned out to be. That is from Eamon. Now, the Education Minister herself, Norma Foley, would certainly disagree with you, Eamon, because she described it as a landmark day. The fact that all primary pupils from third class up will be learning a modern foreign language. Now, it's not kicking in straight away. It'll be from September at 2025. And this is all to do with a radical restructuring of the curriculum at primary uh, level. Major changes coming down the tracks for primary school and for primary education and it will be rolled out the academic year of 2025-2026. And a key feature of the new approach to educating four to 12-year-olds will actually see children themselves 
have a greater say in how they learn. The student voice will be underpinned through the parent and student charter. Legislation is going to have to go through the Oireachtas and that's expected to go through uh, soon. But in the new framework, space is going to be created for schools to decide how best to organise a timetable for their pupils. So there won't be a set timetable that every school is going to have to follow. There will be flexibility within it. Students and teachers will also have more flexibility about how they approach the curriculum and how much time they spend on certain areas. Now, the reforms have all been developed by the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. And they didn't do this overnight. They've been working on this for the last six years. And it's followed extensive research and extensive consultation, which actually included primary school children and their parents and all of the other education stakeholders. I'm sure I'm assuming all the principals and all the teachers and the SNAs were all involved. So the Education Minister, Norma Foley, yesterday launched what's called the Primary Curriculum Framework for primary and for special schools with a promise to provide necessary teacher training and resources because that was one of the first things I heard when there's going to be a foreign language introduced. Surely our teachers in primary school at the moment don't speak another foreign language that they're certainly going to need uh, training. It's the first framework for primary education and therefore it, she said it's a watershed moment for all primary school communities. The redeveloped curriculum will see an integrated approach to teaching and learning through five broad areas and it would be right from when the pupils go into junior junior infants right the way up to sixth. They will include language with pupils learning a foreign language and that doesn't kick in until third class. The next area is science, technology, engineering and maths. That's the STEM education. And the other three areas are going to be well-being, arts education and then social and environmental education and that will include history and geography. So what Eamon is particularly highlighting is that from third class up there will be more uh, there will be more individual subjects taught and that will continue with an integrated approach. So in addition to the five areas, schools uh, will also have a beliefs and religious programme in accordance with the school ethos although the time for religion is going to be reduced. They will go from, at the moment, religion in our schools, two and a half hours is set aside a week. That's going to drop back to two hours. However, again, it'll be up to individual schools that can go as low as one hour and 40 minutes for what is related to not just religious subjects. It falls under ethics, values and beliefs. Now, I mentioned this earlier on in the week that the Catholic Primary School Management Association they're very much against any mention and it isn't mentioned in this of the teaching of anything to do with transgender but they they and they are the group that represent the majority 90% of primary schools are under the Catholic primary school uh, management team they're welcoming this framework and they've called it a historic moment but both the management association and the National Teachers Organisation have called for a for the provision of time and resources to allow the schools to engage in a meaningful way. The INTO, uh, for example, are saying teachers and schools must be given dedicated time to engage, understand and implement this new curriculum. Uh, they've also, the INTO have also gone on about class sizes, bringing, bringing class, primary school classes down to the EU average of 20. That will also be uh, vital. So, but within the framework, which my apologies, this is what a 
Eamon is talking about is this bit about the Irish language and Eamon you're not on your own in being disappointed to hear less time is going to be given to the Irish language because Conrad Naguelga they expressed concern about the reduction in the time allocated for teaching Irish. Now it only kicks in from third class pupils upwards. At the moment uh, the Irish language currently gets an allocation of three and a half hours a week uh, for, for, thir- for all pupils, but particularly for third class up. But what will happen is from third class up, when the new framework kicks in, the three and a half hours for the Irish language will be reduced to uh, three hours. And obviously the half hour and a half an hour taken off, probably the religious instruction, that then will be given over to the foreign language because the foreign language will be one hour a week from third class uh, up. Conrad de Guelga, I believe it's a regressive step for the schools, particularly those that operate through the medium of English, which by the way is 92% of uh, the schools so they're very disappointed in it, in it as well. Anyway, at the moment this is the, the framework. A lot more is going to happen, a lot more discussion is going to happen. Teachers are certainly going to have to do a lot more uh, training but the plan according to Norma Foley, she sees it as a landmark uh, day. It will be rolled out from 2025 to 2026. But Eamon agreeing with Conrad Naguelga that it's a regressive step to spend less time on the Irish language. Your thoughts welcomed on that? This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. John has contacted us on this. Um, proposal put forward by the Education Minister Norma Foley about plans to reduce the weekly time spent on teaching Irish and the idea is that Irish and religion education will be reduced in order to facilitate the teaching of a foreign language from third class through to sixth class. John says reducing the Irish language and religion is an attack on our culture. Okay, what they're suggesting at the moment is both would be reduced by a half an hour a week but John says mark my words after 12 months it will be reduced further and the following year further until it's eventually gone. I fear for the Irish language if this continues it is our culture is under attack. Thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us. Good afternoon to you Mark. Good afternoon and Patricia. you are very welcome. Okay on Oscar weekend are you are you there? Are you there staying up live to watch it? Uh, I used to, to be. Person? I used to be when I was younger but uh, nowadays I'm at that age where I get to it like 10, o'clock, 10 and 11 o'clock at night and I'm just wanting to fall asleep and so I do. So no, I don't stay up for it anymore. Yeah, somebody, Jared. I'm, I'm assuming he's a fan. Just for for people who wanted to see it, was 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 telling me where you could get it. It's on Sky or something. Midnight until three a.m. Is that roughly right, or does it go on later than that? It's later, I think. Is it's it it, well, it's in California, so yeah. isn't it? So um, they it tends to go on later than that. Yeah, yeah it, it okay. used to. It was great in the old days. Where, you know, Barry Norman and the BBC used to have it live, and that was pretty good. But nowadays, that's not the case. So, no, uh, but no. uh, it'll certainly be interesting to see what happens. One of these movies I'm going to do is actually. Not Nominated, uh, actually. Is it okay? Yeah. Two movies for us. Ant, is that Artman? Antman, sorry. Artman, Antman and the Wasp. And the second one is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Will we take a trailer from Antman? Here we go. A lot has changed about my life. You literally saved the world. But right now, the only job I want is being a dad. Scott Lang, you want to get out of here? And I need to get out of here. Bring me what I want. What's that? You cannot trust him. I don't care who this guy is. 
I just lost so much time. He's a monster who thinks he's a god. Everything you call a life, I will burn out of time. He's got Cassie. We'll stop him together. You think you can beat me? Okay, Ant Man and the Wasp. Is this the one that's up for an Oscar? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. No, no okay. it's the other one. Oh, uh, God, that's the Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots, it's up for an Oscar. All right, yeah. <laughs> talk to me about Ant Man and the Wasp. I, I mean, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, it's a good cast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, by the way, Yellow Brick Road is not in the movie. In case you go and see the movie, you're looking oh. forward to a bit of Elton John. They bought the rights to Elton John's Yellow Brick Road just for the trailer. That's how much money Marvel have got to spend. You know what I mean? Because that must have cost a fortune uh, to just put it in the trailer. So I presume you haven't seen any of the no. other Ant Man movies. This, no, is, this no. is the third one, would you believe? Okay. And, uh, you know, as far as the kind of the whole kind of universe is concerned, Ant Man has always been very, very important, funnily enough, although he was kind of a late entry uh, into the series. And the thing is, is that um, I really like the first one. But but my thing when it comes to Marvel is that I always tend to like the first movies. I like the first um, Ant-Man. I like the first Thor. I like the first Doctor Strange. I like the first Spider-Man. I like the first <laughs> Iron Man. And the reason why I like all those first movies is because they're human dramas. It's okay. about real people. And it's about something extraordinary that happens to them. And so, therefore, you can identify with them in that way because they are real people. When, unfortunately, you get to the kind of sequels, you kind of get a bit bored of them all, unfortunately. And the thing is, is that I am a rewatcher, and I rewatch all the first movies. I don't watch any of the sequels, so I've never gone back to watch Iron Man two, for example. Oh. I've never gone back to watch Iron Man three, for example. I've watched the first film about ten times because I love it so much. And this is the same with Ant Man. I've seen the first one a few times. The second one I hardly remember. I know the second one, uh, the Wasp appeared. Uh, Evangeline Lilly uh, plays uh, the Wasp, and in that second movie, Michelle Pfeiffer ended up in this place called the Quantum Realm, which they managed to uh, free her from in the second movie. Spoiler alert. So now we come to the third movie and as you heard there in the trailer, Paul Rudd is kind of enjoying his life. He's enjoying being a um, a celebrity after kind of saving the world after the snap. Uh, if you uh, have been watching any of these Marvel movies, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, the daughter, his daughter in the first two movies was cute as heck. She really was. But now, of course, it seems like you can't have a Hollywood movie without having a grumpy, stroppy old teenager and that's exactly what she is now. And he has to go and he has to bail her out of jail because she's been kind of uh, misbehaving. And on, and like a lot of Marvel and DC movies nowadays, apparently teenagers are extraordinarily intelligent and they manage to kind of produce uh, incredible pieces of technology that other geniuses can't do. And in this, she decides to d- develop this piece of technology uh, that can uh, contact and uh, uh, the, the quantum realm. So she turns it on. Michelle Pfeiffer, who has been in the quantum realm and knows what it's like, says, no. Don't everybody, do that. Everybody gets sucked into this uh, quantum realm. And that's where the CGI starts. And boy, is this thing CGI heavy. And I do wonder, because it seems like the, the kind of the art of kind of set direction is kind of almost being lost in Hollywood, because this is a film that's been made completely in a big green box. There's nothing is real. Nothing you see is real. And unfortunately, I think it's difficult for the actors because they all seem to have this kind of very strange kind of look because they're looking out at nothing, basically. It must be incredibly difficult. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, I was just there. Remember Charlton Heston and Ben-Hur when yeah, he turned up to do that chariot race yeah. and everything was real. All the sets were real, all the chariots, all the, all the, all the stunts, horses. Everything that Can they you did. imagine how exciting that must be for an actor? And now for actors, they just appear in this big green box and... Uh, 
that somebody has this uh, you know stick with a with a with a with a tennis ball at the end. They go, okay, direct your gaze towards that as if that's another human being. Is it, is it a skill in itself? Is it? it is, well, yeah, we've we got some very very good actors here who obviously have learned from that. But you just say, it's, it, it either works two ways. Either you think this is great, I don't have to uh, go out into the desert, I don't have to go out into the high seas and get sick and seasick every day. I just go into this box, I get paid loads of money. This mm. is great. Or are they disappointed? I have no idea. Um, but so this, this is incredibly CGI heavy. The quantum realm, though, it is beautifully realized, and it has to be. It has to be said. It's populated by but very it's, very it's, strange it's creatures. It's marvel. So the CGI is probably excellent. Some yeah, well, it, yeah. there's a character called Modoc in it though, which is extraordinary. I mean, it really looks like something out of Doctor Who in the seventies. I don't know why they did that because some of the CGI in this is a bit dodgy. It really is, but some of it is really really extraordinary. And the quantum realm does look absolutely amazing. And I think you have to give credit here for the um, uh, the uh, computer generated people, you know, for their work here because they've done a very very good job. The problem is the script. I mean, basically people just talk about what's happening on screen. I mean, you know, there's nothing in depth here. You know, there's 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 no Barry Keoghan kind of professing his love to Kerry Condon. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, there's yeah. none of that. It's yeah. just basically people talking about what's happening around them at the time. And the thing is, is that I have the same kind of relationship with this film that I had with the second Avatar, for, for example. I was never bored. I was sitting there watching this going, this is all right. But in three weeks' time, I will completely forget about this. And like the second Avatar film, I'll never go back and watch it again, unfortunately, because I just couldn't be bothered because there's no real depth to this. It really is. I mean, and some of it is very, very silly indeed. It's Marvel, so therefore it has to have its jokes. And um, Paul Rudd is funny when he's on screen. Bill Murray makes an appearance for absolutely no other reason other than that they managed to get him and thought, okay, well, let's just squeeze him in and see what happens. And it's just basically, I think... Um, it, it introduces this character of uh, Kang and apparently Kang is going to be kind of the next bad guy in... So that's um, what they do. They can reintroduce a, uh, introduce a new character and then they can become the next. Exactly. And that's yeah. what they're going to do. And um, Kang the Conqueror played here by Jonathan Majors whose performance is kind of a bit dodgy I thought. I mean people, so, people have been very complimentary about it but I thought it was a bit odd. But um, yeah, basically what it's doing is just it's just setting up the next level of, uh, of movies in uh, the world of Marvel. There are two... Uh, post-credit scenes which kind of um, my daughter got very excited about but of course she knows these, this world inside out yeah. much more than I do she knows all of the easter eggs and exp- has to explain them all to me as um, as a man of advancing years um, I just thought it was alright but it, it's incredibly silly and if you've never seen a Marvel film before thing. can you dip in no way you no. will have absolutely no idea what's okay. happening but I wasn't bored um, uh, and at the end we both looked at each other and we went you know it was alright we, okay. were, we were both entertained by it so mark it out of 10 uh, 6 6 out of 10 ok now the movie that is up for uh, an Oscar is uh, Puss in Boots The Last Wish and I've just realised this is Puss in Boots from Shrek Yes. Yeah, he was the little character in Shrek. Yes, and yeah. uh, he had his own movie about uh, 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, but This, this is, is a follow-up. Yeah, this is kind of like the fifth time we've seen him on screen. So there was three, he was in three of the Shrek movies and in between the two big movies there was like a short. Uh, which and, and Antonio Banderas, isn't it? Does the voice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so... Um, when we meet Puss in Boots, uh, Puss in Boots has had an incredible life you know, as an adventurer. Um, but <laughs> what he, what he, he realises is that uh, all of a sudden there's a huge kind of um, uh, brilliant set piece at the start of the movie. And uh, spoiler alert, look, I'm going to tell you, it's in the trailer, everybody knows okay. it. He loses his life. But of course he's a cat. So he comes Nine back lives. again. Yeah. So he's chatting to the doctor and the doctor says, well, how many times is that now? And Puss in Boots, and there's this great kind of montage about all, all the times he's lost his life. And he goes, Puss in Boots says, I've lost my life about... Uh, 
four times. Yeah. And the doctor said, no, 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 it's eight. You've only got one left. Oh, he's on his last. He's on his last The last life. wish. Exactly. Uh, well, not necessarily. What the last wish is, basically, um, this star came down from Earth and basically it will grant you your last wish. And, of course, Puss in Boots realises, uh, you know, he, he becomes aware of his mortality and thinks, oh, I need this last wish and it will give me back all my lives. So he goes off on this adventure to try and uh, find the last wish. But in, in the meantime, uh, there are others as well looking for the last wish as well. And they are the three bears. And uh, two of which are Olivia Coleman and Ray Winston. Uh, Goldilocks, played by uh, Florence Pugh. What a, what a cast. Uh, John Mulaney as not little Jack Horner, because he's not so little anymore. He's big Jack Horner now, because he's rather overweight from all the, for the thumbs in the, in, in the, in the pies. And, um, and I, thought, I, thought, I just thought it was really, really entertaining. And it reminded me of and the same people were involved of just how good the, the Kung Fu Panda films were, were, because all three were great. And this is extraordinary. I mean, it's incredibly inventive. I mean, the, the animation is extraordinary. It is incredibly funny. There are loads of references to Disney, which I love. If you remember in the first movie, of course, they took the mickey out of Disney throughout that whole thing. Yeah. And it's the same. Here you will see Mary Poppins. Uh, it's very, it, it, they're very clever the way they do very that. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll see Mary Poppins' bag, for example. You'll see, um, you know, in Peter Pan, you'll see Hook's claw making an appearance. So there's loads of kind of movie references, which as a film buff, I really, really enjoyed. And uh, there's a lovely sequence, for example, where they kind of pay tribute to the good and the bad the ugly this kind of this is kind of Mexican standoff you know this tribute to Sergio Leone which of course I just absolutely adored and there's a lot of that stuff happening it's there's there's stuff constantly in your face and, and happening and it's funny and it's inventive and um, I'm not surprised it's been nominated for yeah, an and Academy like it's, Award it's for children but it's one of these ones that adults can just sit down and love from start oh, to finish oh very very much so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was really really impressed with it it's up for Best Animated Feature Film. It is indeed. I don't think it's going to win because it's up against things like Pinocchio and, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and Red and, and movies like that. But, um, but great to get the nod and get the nomination. Uh, very much so, yes. Okay, but well worth the watch? Oh, very much so. A, f- a film for all ages. It's great fun. Okay, Mark, it out of 10? I give it nine. Nine out of ten. Okay, that's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Thank you for that, uh, Mark. And uh, uh, we'll talk again uh, next week. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we'll talk to you Monday morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia. Today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.